The book of Hebrews is where we have been now for several weeks. And it's a tough struggle to uh, understand some of it because it was written to a Jewish context, a context of which we're not that familiar. The ninth chapter of Hebrews, if you'll just find your place. Dr. Kleinard was my preaching professor, and he, he reminded us that sometimes preachers are like airplanes looking for a place to land. <laughs> and they just kind of circle, you know, around looking for a good spot to quit. Remind us not to do that. I think that sometimes we can get lost in the theological trivia. We can get bogged down in the verbiage and fail to say anything briefly. <laughs> I expected an amen from this corner over here and get one. Henry Ward Beecher once said that a switch with leaves does not tingle. What he meant was that you have to strip off all of the the growth to get down to the main point, and get on, might as well get on to the main point right away. Two people were talking about their pastor. One said, well, my preacher just feeds us. I mean, every time we go, he just feeds us from God's Word. The other said, yes, but sometimes he takes so long setting the table, I lose my appetite for the food. Well, I, I, I think that chapter 9, I'd be tempted to do that because they're just truckloads of information. But because I might spend so much time trying to set the table that you'd lose your appetite for the food, I want to give you the main point. What, you know, strip all the leaves off to the switch and give the main point of, of this passage from chapter 9, verses 1 through 14, and then we'll put on some leaves. <laughs> it's verse 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That paraphrased is this. If the blood of bulls and, and, and animals cleanses the body and makes it pure, how much more does, this, does the blood of Jesus cleanse the soul of man? We are made up of both tangible and intangible uh, material. And externally, we are made up of bodies of flesh and bone and muscle, and that's tangible. And a surgeon can take a scalpel and he can cut through the muscle to the tumor and exercise the tumor, remove it, because the tumor and the, and the, and the, uh, and the knife and the, and the muscle and the surgeon, all of those are tangibles. But no surgeon's scalpel can remove the guilt of sin from the conscience because that is intangible. We are made up of tangible and intangible stuff. Now, before I read the passage, I want you to turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 16 because I want to show you a case in point. We'll work our way back. 1 Samuel 16, that's an Old Testament book, back over toward the front of the Old Testament. 
and you'll turn to chapter 16, verse 7. Let me give you the context of this. They're getting ready to anoint one of the um, sons of Jesse as, as king, and he's assuming it's going to be the older son, Samuel is, But God says to him in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. God, for God sees not as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, if we had the eyes of God, we'd be tremendously discerning But all we can see is the outward appearance. And so oftentimes, our discernment is based upon the outward appearance. But there is an inward condition that only God knows, the condition of the heart. So that as man looks on the outward, the tangible, God looks on the in, in the intangible, He looks at the heart. And we base our judgment oftentimes on what we can see from the external, and that's the teaching of Jesus, the, the, uh, the basis of His teaching, that no man should judge another man because only God knows all and only God knows the condition of the heart and we cannot judge a man because we don't know all. We don't know the intangible condition. Now, on your way back to uh, Hebrews chapter 9, stop off at Matthew 10, verse 28, and what this says is this. Fear not the one who is able to destroy the body, but fear him who is able to destroy both the body and the soul in Gehenna, in hell. And the case in point is this, that there is the tangible and the intangible. There is the flesh, there is the spirit. For this body of ours is made up of a... a, tremendous network of feelings and emotions and and thoughts and woven into the fabric of our being is the will and the conscience and the soul and the spirit and the conscience is this powerful unseen force inside of a man this intangible thing that's trained to think of a certain way or programmed to think a certain way. Sometimes the conscience can be programmed to think the wrong way. For example, a man might think he's doing right when he's doing wrong, and he may think he's doing wrong when he's doing right. You can't trust your conscience. I know a guy who feels guilty if he doesn't feel guilty. Now what is this conscience that, 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 that the Scripture refers to? Well, some little kid said... It's that thing down inside that feels bad when everything else feels good. It's that still, small inner voice that's inside of us. Now you say, well, what's the point of all of this? Well, the point is this. Stripping off the leaves to get to the switch. The point is this. That a lot of people think that you can do something external that will make you feel good internally. Let me say that again. A lot of people have this problem inside of them, this guilt, this conscience that gnaws at them, this inner voice that constantly speaks to them, this internal gnawing 
And they feel that if I do something external, that'll satisfy this inner voice. That was the problem in Hebrews. They thought that if they could just return to the practice of Judaistic religion, the practice of the tabernacle, they could satisfy the inner need that is intangible. One man put it like this. He said, people try to put the conscience to rest by religious activity. They are goaded to a high gear program to try to please God. Here are people intent on pleasing God by embarking on an intense program of religious activity which may range all the way from bead counting to candle burning to serving on committees to passing out tracts to teaching Sunday school classes. And the point of chapter 9 is this that you can't do something external that will solve the problem internal. You cannot do something external that solves the problem internal. There are two different problems. Now read with me verses 1 through 5. Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle prepared the outer one in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. And behind the second veil there was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies, having an altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the tablets of the covenant, that is, the Ten Commandments, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now the ancient place of worship was a tabernacle. It was a temporary church that looked like a tent without a top. Now I brought along this little deal right here. I don't normally do this. Somebody's asked me, I'm going to do a chalk talk. I just want to make a point here. I hope you can see this. That, that's going to represent the tabernacle. You're looking down into it like this. It had no top, so it was just a, a tent wall, really. But inside the tabernacle was another kind of tent-like uh, structure. It had a top of beaver skins. You remember reading that from the Old Testament. And this section, this tabernacle, as this passage calls it, was divided into two sections. This was the holy place, and this was the holy of holies. Holy of holies. And the holy of holies was the most sacred place in all the world. It was the symbolical dwelling place of God, and it contained one piece of furniture. Now this passage says that the ark of the uh, table of incense was in the Holy of Holies. really wasn't. Exodus 30 says that's in the holy place, the other part. It had one piece of furniture. Now this was what was in the place where God dwelt, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of a Covenant was a box. It, had, it was inlaid with gold. It, was a, it must have been a beautiful thing. It contained three things. It contained a jar of manna, the rod that Aaron carried that budded, and it contained the tablets on which were inscribed the Ten Commandments. Above, or, or the lid that covered the Ark of the Covenant, 
was called the mercy seat. And over the mercy seat were angels, a cherubim, and their wings covered the mercy seat. And that was the place where the high priest went once a year on the Day of Atonement. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and he only went once a year after he'd purified himself, and this is what he did. He took a, a basin of blood into the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. And that accomplished atonement for the Jew for, that re for the rest of the year. I mean, until next year, he was atoned for his sin. It was a temporary thing. Now, my purpose is not to teach the tabernacle, but to show that these things are surface things. These things are surface things. These things are tangible things. These things the Jews did in order to sustain their relationship with God. Now, follow me in verse 6. Now, when these things have been, have been thus prepared, the priest are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. That's the holy place. They went there every day, continually. But into the second, that is the holy of holies, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed. Would you write above that? Has not been made real. The way into the holy place has not, there is no reality at, with, with this, these surface things. Has not been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect what? in conscience. Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of redemption. Now, they did not accomplish the perfecting of the conscience. That is, what, what they were doing, all of these surface activities, did nothing for man inside. Now, I can remember when I was a kid, first time convicted of my sin of my need for Christ, of my lostness. And there was that inner voice that began to speak to me. Kids, I mean, it, I don't know when it happens. Some it's for real young, and, but there is this, this inner voice that comes. It said, I am lost and separated from God. And I went down and joined the church when I was just a, about a nine-year-old kid and, and, and did not have an experience with Jesus Christ. Joined the church and was baptized. And as I evolved into an understanding of all of what was going on, both in Scripture and in my own life, I couldn't get away from that inner voice that kept gnawing away at me. You can call it conscious or conscience or the spirit or whatever. And so I made God all these kinds of bargains. I said, now, I'll tell you what, you know, I... I hate to go back down and, and do that all over again, so I'll just trust you just like I am right out here and we'll forget everything. And, and, but that didn't satisfy. That didn't, that didn't take away this, this inner need, you see. 
It's hard to put those words, you know, and how to, how to find a word for that. But all of you, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? That, that need that's in the inside. And so I did everything that I knew to do externally to quieten that voice, and it never was quieted, you know. I, you know, lived the best I could. I joined the church. I obeyed my parents. I went to Sunday school. I memorized Scripture. And the voice just kept on inside, inside. Now, why not? Because these things relate only to food and drink and wash externals. And if we were made up only of the body, that would satisfy. But there is, there is the intangible, you see. And, and there are a couple of things about religious activity that this passage suggests. One is that ritual changes nothing within a man. It's like getting dirty and, 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 and grimy from work and going, and, and the way you deal with it, go get you a new suit of clothes. You got a new suit of clothes on the outside, the suit is fine, but you're still grimy and you're still dirty. You're still, still soiled and stained. Religious ritual does nothing for the inner man. And a man can go to church and keep all the rules and the regulations. It does no good. The second thing about religious activity is that ritual represents something much more important. Let me just give you a clue and look over to chapter 10, verse 1. It says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they have not ceased to be offered because the worshiper having once been cleansed would no longer have had consciousness of sin. I mean, once it happens, once you've been cleansed within, then that gnawing need goes away, doesn't it? Um, some people talk to me often about, you know, how can you know you've been saved? I have these doubts, they'll say. And I'm con constantly gnawing, uh, nagged about whether or not I've been saved or not. My only answer to that is, how do you know when you're in love, you know? When you've been cleansed of sin, you just know that you don't need that anymore, that cleansing anymore. You just, that inner peace comes. That inner voice is silent. That intangible is satisfied. You just experience that which you know to be a reality. Now, I'm not going to be guilty of trying to uh, cause people to doubt their salvation. I know that's a dangerous thing. But if you haven't found that inner peace with all of the external and the religious practices that you do, then you may need to take a new look at that. Because when that, when that conscience has been satisfied, chapter 10 verse 2 says, that you know you have no more consciousness of that sin any longer. Now, what we love is um, the external. We love our stained glass windows and we love our crosses, and etc. And there is a place for the external but not to take the place of the internal experience. Let me, let me show you something. If you've got a Bible handy, turn to uh, Numbers chapter 21. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So it'd be the fourth book in the Bible, verse chapter 21, verse 4. It says, And then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And people became impatient because of the journey, and the Lord spoke against God and Moses. And the people spoke against God and Moses, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and we loathe this miserable manna. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we've so spoken against the Lord. Skip down to verse 9. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard. came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. You remember that story? As they were bitten by these fiery serpents, the look at this bronze serpent raised up outside the camp, to look at that brought healing. Jesus refers to that. In John he says, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. So they had this bronze serpent, and that bronze serpent was the symbol they looked to in faith for healing. Now, just a few pages over, I want you to turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 18. I want to begin reading at... Um, Verse 2, Hezekiah is, a, is about to become the king of Judah. He's 25 years old when he became king. It says he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Watch this. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. That's this wooden image of a female Baal god, the Asherah. Look here. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until those days, underline those days, for until those days that Moses had made, for until those days the son of Israel burned incense to it and he called it, or it was called Nehushtan. Now, what, how many days elapsed between the time that Moses erected this bronze serpent and Hezekiah became king? How many days? Well, how many is two, 750 years worth of days? And all this time, they carried around with them this bronze serpent and worshipped it. See? And the serpent was really the symbol that was to call these people to faith for healing, for salvation, and it became the object of worship itself. Now here's the problem with so many of us. Is that we allow the, the, the symbols, the things that... And before we cluck our tongues at these men who for 75 years worship the external, how well do you worship without stained glass and, and, and mahogany pews and cushions and crosses and, and beautiful organ music, etc., etc.? And the problem is 
that so often we focus not upon the substance, we focus upon the symbol. And so he says in verse 11, when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now this is the picture. That here was this Christ who came, and He came before the Father with the nail scars of earth and offered His own blood to God and God was propitiated, that is, He was satisfied. So that the way in to the holiest of holies is by and through the blood of Jesus. It means three things. I need to say this quickly, I know time is gone. You and I can live in the holiest of holies. And that means three things. It means that we can live in the light. The holiest of holies had no light except the Shekinah of God. It means that the blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing us from sin and we don't have to live in guilt. And it means that we can have unbroken fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You and I can live in the holiest of holy places and have not a, 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 a religion that's based upon an external practice, but have a faith that relates to God personally through Jesus Christ. A man can know God and have fellowship with God and live in the holiest place. It has two applications. I'll quit. Stop emphasizing the external. Stop emphasizing the external. You know what the most important things to us are? How many times we go to church? How many, how many times we go to Sunday school? We emphasize the external. The other side of that coin is stop, not just stop fo focusing or emphasizing the external, but start focusing on the internal. Start focusing on the internal. That is, put the major emphasis on your own personal relationship with God that, uh, that, that, that takes place in the inner part of man. Let's pray together. Father, help us to look beyond the trappings and the, the buildings, the surface things, the, the things that we count so important in religious life, and help us to evaluate and determine if we have a personal relationship with God, how well we are living in the holy place where God lives fellowshipping with Him. And I pray, Father, that You'll continue to make us aware that there is more to the Christian faith 
than just keeping a ritual of rules and a grocery list of activity. And give us a desire to know the Lord in a personal way because I pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. I'd be remiss if I did not give an opportunity for you to make a decision to accept Christ publicly, to join the church, to begin a new walk with the Lord, a deeper relationship with Him. We'll do that as we sing a stanza or two of invitation. We invite you to come.